Welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. These podcasts are designed to motivate, educate, and to inspire you to take huge action in your life, to change your life from this moment on. I interview inspiring guests with amazing stories that you can hopefully learn from, relate to, and spur you on to achieve big things. If you want to follow my personal journey and all the different things that we do, please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property, or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn property. Me, myself, I've been from rags to riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses in over millions of pounds. I have a multi-million pounds portfolio of property up in the northeast of England. I am by no means done yet. So please get in touch if you love the show. If you have any feedback for me, I'd really appreciate that. And I'm happy to help as many people as I possibly can. That's what this show is all about. So enjoy the episode. Take care. Have a fantastic day. And don't just take notes, take action. Just before the podcast starts, I just wanted to let you know, I've released a book on Amazon called Be a Lion. So Be A Lion is about how to dominate and how to be successful in every part of your life. The four main parts of your life being your business or your career, your property empire, your property business, uh, your health and fitness, and your relationships. Now, if you can be more successful in those four areas, business, property, health and fitness, and relationships, I imagine your life's going to be quite a bit better. It's not one or the other. It's not sacrificing your health and fitness in order to be successful at work. And it's not being really, really wealthy, you know, at the expense of your your relationship. You can be happy, successful content in every single part of your life. And the book does explain how I do that and how I believe you could replicate what I've done and just be a little bit better in each part of your life. So it's on Amazon, be a line. It's 15 quid, cost of a Domino's pizza. I'm sure... Everyone listening to this can afford 15 quid and it might just change you and it might just make you a little bit better in each part of your life. So pop on Amazon, grab it. That would be massively appreciated and enjoy this podcast. Have a fantastic day. Hi and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now today's guest is a lady called Hayley Andrews. She's been in property since around about 2002. Uh, she's done everything from £50,000 buy to let's up until 86 million pound development she's currently looking at at the moment and everything in between. Really knowledgeable, really intelligent lady. She's been on Sky TV. Um, she raised the eyebrows when I said intelligent lady. <laughs> just for the people I just listed. Um, um, she's been on Question Time with John Howard. She does a lot of TV stuff. She coaches and mentors people all over the world. Um, be a good episode. And there'll be plenty of knowledge and lessons that I feel in this one. And the scale that Haley's went to in uh, in twenty years is is quite substantial. So I'm sure there's some um, inspiration hidden in this episode as well. So thank you for coming on the show, Haley. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Um, I know you're very very busy, as am I. So we'll get straight into it. Um, so what we like to do, Haley, on the show, we like to talk about three parts of your career. So first part is just how it started for you, how you got into property briefly. Um, the next section is what everyone is normally interested in, which is the growth part. So any key highlights, any key deals, any key lessons as well that you've learned over, over your sort of 20 years in property. And then the last section is just where your attention is right now. What are you looking at going forward? What are you looking at currently? What's kind of next for you? So if you could start here, just by focusing on that first part and tell us a little bit about how you started uh, into getting into property. It would be great. Sure. Um, so... Um, I'd love to give you a, a you know an exceptional inspirational story, but <laughs> um, when I started 20 years ago, the first property I actually purchased was my home. And um, when I so I was an accidental landlord. When I moved in with my husband, um, I actually um, switched that to a buy to let um, and was hooked from there. Really, um, I did it all wrong. Obviously, I had no education or anything like that. I wasn't focusing on cash flow. Um, I was really collecting property for many years and uh, the sole purpose really was um, I love my job my husband loved his job was um, really just to create a pension plan so the there was nothing creative around it um, they were just standard by to lets um, 
I've always been super good at um, my favorite thing to do is negotiate. So I've always been very good at negotiating um, below market value um, and um, creating those kind of win-win situations without kind of the educational training behind me. So that must just be a skill I was born with, I guess. <laughs> and so negotiation is one of my favorite things to do. So um, even though, you know, I wasn't very creative or anything like that, um, I, I did acquire quite a large portfolio um, just the conventional way saving up the deposit money um, buying another one um, my structure and everything was incorrect um, because we purchased in our own personal names both mine and my husband's um, the mortgages we were on were repayments um, so we wasn't focusing on cash flow we had a good level of income um, so we were able to build quite a, a decent sized portfolio but we wasn't really making any money out of it um, and uh, we thought we were great you know <laughs> Just, just to jump in there, sorry, Haley. So, what did you and your husband do? You've mentioned well-paying jobs. Just out of curiosity, what what was what your background? What were you doing at this point? Um, so, I was in the leisure and tourism industry um, and recruitment, um, and um, I was uh, so I researched data for hotels. Um, so it's right. quite funny that it's done a full kind of circle and that's you know that's my, one of my favorite strategies now is, is service accommodation and uh, research behind it getting the right location is very key for that particular strategy so those skills kind of came into our investment and development um, our business anyway and my husband was an oracle developer so uh, self, a self-employed contractor so he wrote computer software I believe <laughs> not my area of expertise at all but <laughs> it paid very well um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah we, we, we were both on really good income um, uh, and uh, I kind of you know um, uh, uh, I loved my job and so did my husband and um, we were quite happy just staying there you know um, we were we were um, both planning on progressing within our careers. Um, so we both come from the corporate world. Um, but it wasn't until my husband got ill that we realized, you know, um, we lost his income because he was uh, self, obviously because he was self-employed and we were so young that we didn't realize about insurance or insuring him and things like that. I guess you don't think about it up front, do you? Yeah. Um, so we we had a massive hit um, and, uh, and then we realized, well, we, we were asset rich and cash poor without the job, basically. Um, we read the likes of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and decided to get ourselves uh, educated. My husband was very, very poorly as well, had to have operation, brain, brain operations and things like that. Um, and uh, there was multiple kind of visits to the hospital and blue lights and uh, doctor's visits. And it, that, was, that was kind of... Um, why we decided to to focus on property because we wanted to look at well we knew I love property I genuinely love property and and did even before this happened but um, uh, it what well, I didn't see it as a career um, um, so I kind of just saw it as a pension plan um, and the idea really as I said was just to pay the mortgages off over a 25 year period and then live off the income when I decided to retire later on in my life from the, the career that I was actually the career path I was following and the same with my husband um, and it and but I love doing it so I self-managed as well so along doing my own job <laughs> yeah so self-managed but they, they, they were just fine to let so it, it was fairly easy to manage but still yeah. obviously time consuming as well um, so we we decided um, to get educated because although we held quite a decent sized portfolio and um, you know we got some income coming off that portfolio it wasn't enough to kind of you know replace our, our jobs or anything like that and that wasn't our driving factor at the time but we didn't really focus on cash flow because we didn't know about it <laughs> all this passive income and things that we didn't really have those kind of um uh cookies or seeds in our head i guess um so we decided then to um uh, uh, that property was the way but what we'd been doing although wasn't necessarily incorrect wasn't really helping with what we wanted to do. Um, so when Paul was ill, um, we didn't know how long he had left. And um, we decided to um, focus on uh, 
cash flow after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. We did the US um, Rich Dad Poor Dad training, and we then we came oh. up to the UK. We did more training here because we realised it was completely different to the US to what it was <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> and as much as we, you know, uh, it, it, well, the concept the same, but obviously terminology is legals and things like that. Yeah, all yeah. Um, so we got educated and we decided to focus on cash flow. So we went into HMOs. Um, okay. and we never looked back basically um, so um, apparently I'm the HMO queen um, I'd rather be called princess but now I'm hitting 40s it's kind of a little bit uh, <laughs> can't yeah, get through that anymore <laughs> 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 it's too much great <laughs> what sort of scale are you talking about HMOs here you know just to give um, the listeners some context yeah. so you talk we, we started off with um, just, uh, so we had a, a, a project uh, budget of 250 for uh, five and six bed HMOs when we first started. So that was our total project um, uh, budget. Um, so um, we started off with just your four, five bed HMOs, went into six, seven, then went into 22, 23. Um, and um, yeah, that we, we kind of just scaled from there really. Um, but um, we did HMOs on a buy and own. So we purchased below market value, added value, forced appreciation, refinanced. Um, and um, we also did rent to rent as well. So we did um, uh, quite a lot of rent to rent. So we actually doubled our portfolio within um, 12 months. So um, uh, we were financially okay. And then we were actually financially free within two years. So we, we, we went on a, a, a quite a bit of a rampage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And that sounds good. Both the buy and own and of course um, uh, our rent-to-rent business rent-to-rent and, and, and how long ago was this um so we're talking 14 50 14 15 years ago now um when so it was kind of five years just buying the buy to let yeah. alongside your current job yeah. obviously something happened with you with your husband i hope he's okay by the way um now and then from that that was the decision right that was the catalyst that was the starting point right we need to get educated and take this a bit seriously now um well, I think it was, it wasn't about not taking it seriously. It was about not having the right education behind us because, um, or knowledge. Um, so we, you know, we didn't know what a HMO was other than a student accommodation. You know, what, what happens with a HMO? So it was a, it was about needing to get educated if we wanted to scale and draw, um, you know, a, a business from this idea. Um, so I'm definitely one of those people that needs to know everything before they do anything. And I'm not suggesting that that's a good way to be, but um, I, I like to have all of the facts, all of the information. And um, it, once seeing all of the different strategies, um, both HMOs and serviced accommodation were the two that really um, sparked my interest because cash flow was what we were looking for because we needed to replace our income fairly quickly as a result of Paul's illness. I had to call, cut my hours back as well to take care of him um, and while we were asset rich because we've got you know a decent side portfolio um, we were cash poor um, so cash flow needed to happen fairly quickly so the idea was you know get to the income level we needed to achieve and then revisit the business and say well okay where did we go from here and and that's really what we did we did fair play fair play and fast forward to now, 14, 15 years later, you're you know, buying some real large developments, 86 million and all these big, big numbers. So what, what happened in between? So was this a gradual thing? Was development always something that you were interested in or did it just kind of spiral into that? Because you're saying your passion's kind of HMO's service accommodation. How have you... How has that transition went and, and, and why really? Yeah, so, I mean, my passion is is property. I love the industry. I think, that, you know, and I love how there's always something new to learn. I would never sit here and say I know everything. I don't. Even after 20 years, I learn something new every day. And I think that's what I love about property um, and the people that, that, that you get to work with. Um, 
and the freedom and lifestyle it allows you to have. So I'm not one of these people that will say, oh, income is passive, it's property is passive. It's not. Um, and and it, I've worked hard to get to where I am now, as as you have, and and you know, and everybody else that's successful and within the industry, um, it's a hard slog to get there. And in the beginning, I did leave a job and create a job for myself. I did everything wrong, you know, <laughs> um, and uh, and I worked harder than I'd ever worked as an employee. So um, I, I think the concept of passive is is definitely not true, um, but um, it. It was just so interesting all the time. So you you always doing something new. So while I had no desire, I had no desire to do 86 million pound sites, 5 million pound sites, or even 2 million, you know, our project um, uh, budgets when we started out um, was like 250,000 pounds in total. And so, you know, we were buying 160,000 pounds properties uh, doing the renovation etc refinancing and we were doing that really well because I was negotiating genuine below market value and um, being the go-to person in the area and really creating a funnel of deals that were coming through um, so we we you know we were buying right and I think that's the most important thing really isn't it buying right getting the you know the right audience and making sure that you're able to refinance it at the levels that you're expecting um, but I never thought about doing development. Um, I, you know, I, we had a cash flow figure in mind. Uh, that changed over the years. Of course, it does. Um, you want to do more, and you want to. You, you were, okay, we got to that point. What, how far can we push it? What's the next stage? Um, so um, that that kept changing over the years, um, and uh, and then it came more about the experience than the money, and that was a really nice place to be. Um, in the beginning, I, you know, as I said, I did everything wrong because I'm a control freak. I did everything myself. I project managed. I um, sourced all the materials. I, uh, I even filled skips. I went to pick up materials. <laughs> I, you know, I was I was really hands on. I, it, it was. As I said, I, I left a job and created an even harder job <laughs> for myself that, that actually swallowed up a hell of a lot of um, my life in the beginning. Um, and that's not how, well, that wasn't what I was trying to create. So once the income wasn't an issue, it was kind of a revisit and say, well, okay, this was about quality of life. It was about time and we have no quality of life and no time. So we have to revisit it and say, well, okay, well, how do we systemize it now to make sure that, you know, um, we, we're actually um, achieving um, more than just money because it, it's about more than that, isn't it? Quality of life as well, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So it was always constantly changing and revisiting. Um, so while the core values were always the same and the object was, you know, the, the goal was the same, um, the way we got there, you know, would change year by year because <laughs> you would grow as an individual. You'd, you know, you learn new things. Um, you make mistakes. You learn from those mistakes. And, uh, and, and, and that's what I love about it. I guess um, we didn't just jump into an 86 million pound site and that is by far the biggest um, you know average project sizes around 500,000 up to um, one to two million um, so um, we're you know we're, we're we're talking a huge leap here um, and uh, yeah but it's all kind of just the same process just on a bigger scale yeah so it, it it is scary. Um, so I don't think that you ever really lose that fear. Um, and I think that's the excitement behind it as well, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, we yeah. like the thrill of the chase. Um, we're all control freaks in this industry. And uh, we, you know, we're all driven individuals. We, there's, a, there's, there's something we're looking to achieve. And by God, will we achieve it? Um, and I've always been that type of person. And, and so it, it's about pushing yourself, pushing pushing those boundaries, stepping outside your comfort zone. And while that is an uncomfortable place to be, it's exciting as well. And uh, um, so, yeah, I'm absolutely bricking it on an 86 million pound site. You know, I'm not going in there cool as a cucumber. I'm like a swan. I look, you know, perfectly calm on, on, on the surface, but underneath I'm kind of paddling to to kind of uh, keep up so it's a huge huge project for me um, um but 
um, it, it's kind of the next steps, you know. Um, so it's not just about jumping into a, a, a deal that big, and uh, and I haven't done that. It's, um, it's about breaking it down the same as you would a smaller site. It's just bigger yeah. numbers, I guess. I'm just just a couple of questions that came to mind when you were saying that you know you've got this love for property. Um, what do you love the most about property, and what do you dislike the most about property? Yeah, pick one of each. What's your, your um, best so the, the thing I love most, or the 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 role I like to play, um, is negotiating the deal. I like the thrill of that chase. I like to know that I'm playing the game. I play the game very well, and I I'm very good at it. Um, so never play me at poker. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, your, um, what, what's your tips for nego negotiating then if you know you've you've clearly done it a long time you've clearly been re very successful and if that's what you like and you feel it is your strength what what could we share with the listeners as your your you know your top tips for negotiation okay i think a lot of people go into negotiation to uh, knock people down and while that is of course um what we're looking to do we're looking to get it at, at the right price it's about mindset isn't it so um i think how i do things differently is i if the deal absorbs the price i'd be prepared to pay it but i show how it doesn't with facts and information and i going there super positive I, I'm very good at communications. I'm great at creating relationships and even better at keeping them. And, uh, and I'm genuine with my approach. If, if I can afford and get what I need out of a deal um, and um, pay what the seller is ask, looking for, then I, I genuinely would. But that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and so, and you know, as an investor, you know, so we, we have to look at the margins that we're looking to achieve and if the if and and then we say what we can pay for it we can do that with positivity i think and i think a lot of people take the opposite approach they say oh it needs a new roof or it needs new windows or there's a drain that's collapsed there or there's a tree that's really big like this is going to cost this 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 and this and this is why i can't pay it i go in with the opposite approach um where i say i would love to pay you asking price for this property it's perfect i i can see this property in my portfolio and uh and I'm super positive about it. You know, great light, great location, fantastic. Um, and, and then I back up with figures of what this is the margins that we're looking to achieve. So while I'd love to pay you X amount for it, this is what I'm able to pay based off the margins that I need to achieve. And I open up the conversation that way. And I think I don't move from there. Um, so it's probably, I hope nobody that I'm negotiating with at this moment in time is watching this program, by the way. But I approach it with positivity and, and genuine facts. And uh, I show those facts. I'm not, I, I don't hide it. I have, you know, independent valuations carried out. I get quotes and, and, and things like that. And I go back with factual information and I don't force the point either. Um, so I don't think that I'm uh, aggressive in my approach in negotiation, which I think a lot of people think you have to be, and you don't. You can be likable um, and still get what you want. It's not about someone winning and someone losing. It can be about two people winning, um, and and you can walk away. Um, you know, with uh, you know, it's it's like you can walk away with with both parties gaining what they needed to achieve from a deal, and it and it genuinely being a win win situation. So I think if you go into um, uh, you know negotiation with that mindset, it's it's much better approach. Uh, I mean, like what you said there, because I think you're right. You, you know, thinking back, maybe it's more towards the start for me personally. Anyway, you do the, your view of negotiation is I need to get this property down as low as possible. I'll offer fifty percent, and then it gives us room to get the twenty five percent below market value. You know, all these things, and and I, you said it there. I I used to start with the negative, the reason it's got this wrong, it's got that wrong, it's da 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 da. And you are you you kind of people would rather deal with a positive person who loves the property than a negative person 
even if what you're saying is accurate by saying it needs X, Y, Z, you can still see it needs X, Y, Z just in a more positive way. Yeah. I think that I think that's really good what you said and and you you're spot on. Obviously, you know you've done it a lot longer than me. Um, but I think you know I've been in sales twelve years heavily in my main business, and I know how to sell to people. I know how to persuade people, and I know how to negotiate as well. And you're completely right. You'd much rather deal with the positive, happy, polite, kind, transparent. You definitely came across as really transparent there. You're not hiding. You're just saying, "I need to make this margin, and this is why." People would rather deal with the honest, transparent person than the person that's shooting the property down in flames because they want fifty grand off. You know, well, every man's castle is every man's home is his castle, and um, whether we see it as that as an individual that's looking to purchase, it's it may be all that they have, and and I think um, it can offend people. And 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 I went in exactly the same as you. You know, when I first started out. Um, you know, I, I did the courses and that, and it's very aggressive approach, right? You always do below. You can uh, you can't come down. You can go up. Well, in actual fact, you can. You can go up or down. You know, and 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 uh, and and I, I don't think that 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 that's um, it didn't work for me because that's not me as an individual. You know, it, it and. I, I think that much more soft approach and, and positive around the whole kind of situation and understanding and, and and being genuine always works better in business. It doesn't matter whether it's negotiation or any other person that you're working with, um, even if it's not the best cards on the table. Um, people will still look at you and remember you and, and deal, would want to deal with you and actually take that into the negotiation in their own mind to say, well, actually, they may be offering £10,000 more, but this is a sure thing. She's showed me proof of funds. She's showed me why she needs to pay this. She's got a good track record. She's been honest and open throughout the whole process. It's going to be much better, quicker route to go down this way. <laughs> so it's not always about what you offer. It can be about what what you have to back that up as well. So, you know, um, always make sure that you go into negotiation with, you know, proof of funds and um, good, solid um, people behind you and be able to answer questions very quickly and confidently as well. Yeah, yeah, not completely agree. Confidence and in any, because negotiation is just selling, right? You're selling to them why you're going to buy it for this. Confidence is such a, such an obvious thing that you need but it's such a I wouldn't say undervalued but it's kind of like a forgotten thing like they teach you all these ways to say things but I can I could offer you a certain price with lack of confidence or with confidence you're a lot more like I can be saying the same things but based on my tonality my tone of voice if it's in person your body language you know you come across you, your voice is very very like comes across really like pleasant and I can I can understand why if you can't see you people would paint a picture in their mind of what you look like because that's what you do right when you're on the phone to someone if you've never met them you paint a picture in your mind of what that person looks like right <laughs> I don't know where this is going but you sound really really pleasant on the phone is what is my point so like if you're negotiating with someone over the phone if you've got a really monotone, a really low tone of voice, they're thinking, oh, he's grumpy, he's negative, he's whatever. But you sound really, really pleasant, kind, honest, just from your tone of voice. Because that's all you have at your disposal, right? Yeah. To give them an impression of who you are. You can back it up with proof of funds, obviously. You can say the right things, speak with confidence. But your tonality of your voice is 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 a really important thing. I think you've naturally got that. You've got a really yeah, I think point. that comes from mindset as well, though, doesn't it? Because if, you, if, as you said, if you go in there thinking about what can I get out of this, mm. you're giving off a different vibe, um, I, I mm. think. And whether you want to believe that that you, you're showing that or not, people mm. will pick up on that. that so was, if you go in with a different mindset, it, it, it naturally just comes through within you, your own personality. You don't have to try and be something else, I guess. And I think a lot of people, especially nervous people and people that are don't rate themselves as salespeople or great negotiators or this, try to be everything. And you can't, you know, you either have it or you don't. And while you can still do something well if you don't have it, why focus on something that you don't enjoy doing and you don't, it, it's not your strength? Focus on, outsource that and focus on something that you love about the industry. And I think that's what I do really well. And that's 
Um, I, I focus on the parts that I that excites me, keeps me interested, um, gives me energy rather than taking energy away, which is why I work harder than I've ever worked because I love doing what I'm doing. And uh, even now, <laughs> to this day, I still work harder than I ever did when I was employed. Um, but I, it doesn't feel like work because it's a choice. And I suppose that's all I ever wanted, the choice to say, well, okay, if I want to take three months off, I can. And the business won't be affected as a result um, and it probably grow better without me <laughs> because that's the people that I've got around me now. Whereas, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people try and fit all of those boxes and be everything within their business. And, and, and while you can do that um, and you can get by and tick those boxes and do a good job and and still deliver um it it will have an impact on you as an individual and your overall performance and your team as well so we very much look at um focusing on um working in flow um, and working on the things that you enjoy doing and your true strengths exploiting that as much as we possibly can and then outsourcing and, and calculating all of that you know additional um, fees that that we would have to pay um, building it into the deal itself which you know takes care of the the, the business so yeah I, I think I think that's you know just natural everybody wants to do everything and and I've said it many many, many you, times you, you can only scale so far as well right when the yeah. you're doing everything yourself you, you know you can achieve a lot more you can certainly go further as a team yeah you'll go quick if you go alone but you'll go further as a team right exactly um, yeah absolutely and I think that's the biggest mistake I made when I first started out and when I say first started out I'm talking about when I got educated you know while I first started out 20 years ago yeah. um, I wasn't really a property investor I just collected properties basically and I was you know I'm a really frugal person I came from nothing so I was very good at saving money I'm not one of these people that buys you know yachts and things like that it's not not my style at all um so um and it was never about the money for me. I just needed the money to create the time. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think the biggest mistake I did make when I first started out was trying to do everything myself, which is why I can stand here with confidence and say, that's not the way to go. Um, you know, I most certainly didn't get into the industry to um, leave a job and create another job for myself. Um, and I don't think that that's what many people are, are coming into the industry to do. You know, it's more about if you really drill down what why people come into the industry, it's more about the freedom of time. And, and obviously okay. need money to be able to, to have that. So um, I think that's the biggest mistake I made. I didn't value my time. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to focus on the, the team aspect in a, in a sec. But just going back to that other question, we talked about what you really liked. What's the one thing that you really, really dislike about property? Uh, property management. Hate it. You're still, you're still managing house. Have you got a team that no. do that? Or do you so I, I own a management and lettings agency, state agency. Right, okay. So they do it for you. Yeah, but the, the uh, I mean... So I self-manage my bike to let portfolio and then foolishly um, uh, self-manage the HMO portfolio when I first started, um, you know, investing in HMOs and didn't realise how different that, that kind of, um, you know, that management level of involvement would, would be. And, and I just kind of thought, well, I've been doing it for years, you know, well, there's no reason why I wouldn't be able to do a, you know, another... <laughs> You know, no, again, but because we scaled so quickly, um, it, it 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 was terrible. You know, I uh, I was I was doing all of the viewings. I was doing the tenant management. I, as I said, I you know I was on call twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days a year. Somebody's toilet was blocked. It was me that they were calling. I was often out in the middle of the night um, with the police. Um, I've been locked in a property as well. Um, so I've, I've had abuse from tenants. And um, But I suppose it all came from necessity in the beginning because, of course, I didn't have the money to pay. Um, uh, you know, we lost a, a huge amount of income 
And um, the properties, of course, for cash flow are much better um, if I was self-managing than if I was paying 15% to a management company. And as cash flow was really the driving factor and we needed that fairly quickly, um, it, it it almost felt like a no-brainer, but it was a huge, huge mistake. And I have a huge amount of respect for management companies um, and um, and I would never, ever, ever hand on heart self-manage ever again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we're making a on that one. Um, yeah. really. um, okay, no, thank you for that. Um, so let's just go back to that team question because I'm quite interested in this person here and I think some of the, the listeners will be. So to, the scale that you've went through was obviously quite substantial. Um, what's the key members of the team that you have now or key members of the team that you'll need if you're going on a similar trajectory? If you if that makes sense, what are the key? I mean, is it obviously? I know you've you've got your property management business. Have you got VAs? Have you got assistants? Have you got contractors in house? What what does that team kind of look like now, and how's that went over the years? So um, uh, within within my business now, um, we've got all of those that you just mentioned above. <laughs> um, but we've got um, so we've got fifteen members of staff currently, which are on um, our payroll across different companies. Um, and um, uh, that we do we we use Filipinos um, uh, 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 virtual assistants as well for some tasks and um, so we still uh, we still use those um, and uh, we have like media marketing management office staff operational manager um, uh, I'm, I'm not the director of, uh, of a few of them but I'm the beneficiary of the trusts etc and um, so it, it, it's uh, you know that's kind of the the day-to-day tenant management uh, contracts. I have legal um, uh, representative in as employees as well. So um, that was a big one, actually. <laughs> Decided I was so fed up of arguing with everyone. I just brought in a solicitor <laughs> to deal with everything. Um, uh, so yeah. So sorry, is that for? other things is that for the convenience and the purchases with the legals of the, the lenders or was this no it, it's more to do with the you know the management of the uh, so this is on the management side well she deals with everything for me so if there's an issue with anything at all I don't bother trying to spend hours replying and putting my legal brain on it just kind of flick it over to her but um, she, she deals most of, mostly with um, you know um, section 21s and all things like the whole kind of process yeah. there um, and any issues with tenants dealing with councils and things like that and um, and anything I kind of need um, uh, advice on from that point of view yeah. um, but that they I actually do have obviously conveyance and solicitors that are separate so she doesn't deal with that side the transaction yeah. side um, and uh, one of the key members of you power team and I hate that word power team but well I don't hate I don't hate anything really but I don't I dislike that word, but one of the key kind of, um, uh, or, or I would say, is is you solicitors. Um, so uh, I found that solicitors what to actually reply to emails in a timely manner is they can make yeah. or break a deal, really, can't they? It doesn't matter how good you've done everything to that point if they're not on the ball and and they're not playing ball, it, it can become very very difficult to get anything over the line. So um, yeah, the, the the team that I started out with twenty years ago are not the team that I have today. Um, as you grow and um, progress, um, of course, you change and you like working with some people and don't with others. So, um, and some people may have the qualification but just don't do the job, and that's fact. That's life, you know. <laughs> so you have to kind of hire them slow and fire them fast and uh, and move on and learn from that, and and obviously make sure that the next person's got the qualities you need. So think about what you're looking to gain from the transaction. Um, not just from a monetary point of view, but speed and everything else, because it all matters. Um, and you could lose out just because your team isn't right. Um, so even if you've done everything right yourself, if they're not on the ball and you've chosen the wrong team to work with, um, you can lose the deal. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, the team I, I have in place now is uh, full, you know, uh, architects, surveyors, um, uh, um, 
conveyance and solicitor, a tax advisor, very, very important. <laughs> um, you know, so you call power team, but then I've got um, individuals that obviously just do bits and bobs for me, like media marketing and things like that. Okay, great. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's it's important because lots of people are talking about the growth stage and how to get started and how to boost it up to 10, 20 properties and all that. But there is a stage if you keep scaling where you need to, you need these things, right? Um, so no, thank, thank you for sharing. What, what would you say, not the, not your most enjoyable, but what would you say has been the most profitable strategy that you've been involved in over the, the sort of 20 years? Um, because of what you enjoy and what's profitable is different, right? But um, what would you say has been the most profitable over over yeah over your time doing it and then currently? Um, so um, I think um, definitely serviced accommodation and larger HMOs. And um, so while the smaller HMOs are great and you know they're kind of bread and butter and they bring in good decent cash flow, um, I found that the bigger high gone with my HMOs, the more money I'm able to pull out and the better I can make that deal kind of work for me. So, and there's less people, less competition, I guess. So, you, you know, it, the different price brackets you go to, obviously there's less competition there. <laughs> you know, there's less yeah. people kind of yeah, playing yeah. in those arenas. So, um, but um, service, but commercial to residential or serviced accommodation are the ones that are the most profitable. And more recently, car parks as well, which I was quite surprised about. <laughs> but so, so car parks, uh, you know, I've just I've just purchased um, uh, a couple of weeks ago actually um, a large Grade Two listed building with thirteen thousand square feet of office space, um, but with a hundred car parking spaces, um, and um, we're looking now at separating that out. And we've been talking to some car parking uh, providers who take the whole kind of process on. And worst case scenario, we're looking at seventy thousand um, pounds annual income, and best case scenario, one hundred and twenty. And that's the car park alone. I only purchased it at eight hundred and eighty thousand pounds. I've still got thirteen thousand square feet of office and uh, convention rooms, so events room space, um, which will rent out between fifteen and twenty-five pounds um, per square foot as well. With you know, and uh, the yield's quite low in the area, but so it's a 10% yield um, on a commercial valuation. But it, 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 you know, straight away, the car park alone <laughs> with a couple of the offices is more than, you know, it's a great, great deal. Um, so I, 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 I must say um, the, the, the car parks, uh, I might actually start going down that route. It's completely hands off. 50-50 kind of split if you want to set it up that way and um, if you get the right location can be very very profitable not yeah. something I ever thought about and the best thing no tenants <laughs> so it's one of the reasons I love service accommodation you can just kick them out if they, if they don't if they don't pay they don't stay simple as <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I've, ne I've never heard anyone talk about that but but yeah I mean just when you said it it makes us think about in these multi-story blocks yeah. And they're not exactly cheap, some of them. If you go city centres, like, it's not cheap at all, is it, right? Um, that's interesting. Just just on service accommodation, what's your... Are you going sort of city centres or are you going more... Yeah. Sort so, of uh, you what, what, what's your strategy there? Well, I don't like... I like multiple exit strategies, so I never just go one or the other. So um, I don't focus on holiday makers, although that we do get a lot of people that travel for leisure. It's more down to the shopping uh, and things like that because we do focus on towns and city centre locations. Um, okay. and that's on a buy and own and rent to rent. Um, okay. So um, I, I, I focus on, you know, beds for builders. I look at, you know, infrastructure plans, things like that. Um, I look at, um, you know, a, a five-year plan with my serviced accommodation. I do research to make sure that the, you know, the, the, the visitor statistics are climbing year on year, um, that there's growth in the area. I drill down to what's driving short-term accommodation in that area. I do a whole report on everything down to, um, you know, behaviour of uh, the people that are staying um, and um, what, what they're staying for. Um, so I've always found that 
I always do it close to, you know, uh, large, not universities, but colleges with university status that will have international, a lot of international interests. I drill down to that. I look at um, hospitals as well. Um, so I tend to kind of uh, focus around those types of areas and uh, good, good infrastructure, good tra transport links, any major projects that are going on because the audience that I target is not really boutique type of hotel. It's more of your budget accommodation. Um, but the numbers stack up. And uh, of course, you're able to purchase the properties cheaper uh, as a result of, you know, perhaps it not being a major city centre location like Manchester or Liverpool. But yet I do Birmingham and the Black Country with my serviced accommodation. And although I do do Conway in North Wales um, and a few rural places like that, it's more for myself and the family than, than really the business. Um, the business for serviced accommodation of what I focus on is towns and city centres. No more than 10 minutes away is kind of my rule of thumb. Um, yeah, okay. That's good advice. Um, I mean, I'm doing quite a lot of essay stuff myself and glamping and hotels and stuff. That I'm, I really enjoy it. I'm with you, by the way. I, I find it more profitable. I find it more enjoyable as well because I'm, I do get bored quite easily, me. So I got bored of Battlelets. And then Donation was I got bored of that. Yeah. So it's a bit more quirky. So essays, just you can do weird, wonderful things and you can, without letting the emotion get in and, and design something that I would like it's still a commercial decision but it is a bit more entertaining isn't it and, and it is because um, it's the nicer side isn't it because um it's completely different to our residential portfolios whether they're vitalettes or HMOs or social housing or, or whatever um it's a service-led industry so it is the nicer side of the industry I guess and uh, you are creating kind of you know your unique selling point and you are um offering a service it's not it's about the experience it's about the service and and that's not always as I said offering boutique hotels it, it could actually be more budget but you still have a unique selling point so it's more about a brand and that's what I like about service accommodation I think that it's it it can just grow and grow and grow and it's kind of like monopoly isn't it you fall greenhouse is one red hotel type of thing and, it, and that's, that's what we've grown up with you know that's that's the exciting side of it so it is completely different it is a business um the management of serviced accommodation as well. I love the systems behind everything. I love the way we can just pull data and we can see straight away in real life what is going on with that side of our portfolio. And and you can adopt and change. You can do you know dynamic pricing and you can you can do whatever you want to do. And it's it, but as long as there's an audience there. So I think the exciting side of it is the fact that it is an experience it is a service and it is the nicer side but it's also about pricing yourself right and making sure that the you know the areas you're choosing give good sustainable areas and your business is going to grow um, and I, that's why I love it I love data I love collecting data I love systems and the reason I love serviced accommodation is because if while it's much harder to set up um, as in getting your systems right, your people behind those systems, you know, your automation, everything is that little bit more to kind of do. Once you've set it up, you really can walk away from it. That It is more passive than your, your tenant, you know, your residential portfolio, because once all of those systems in place, I mean, um, you could walk into my business now, my service accommodation business now, and there's an operational manual that will tell you how to do everything. Anybody can step into my business, but that didn't happen overnight. You know, it took a long time to systemize all of that and to document it and to make sure that it was in a way that's understandable that anybody can walk in and 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 build you know and, and continue the business day-to-day -day running off that business and so that's why I love it it's it is the sexy side I guess and uh yeah so <laughs> and the money is you know while HMO the cash flow from HMOs is fantastic and you know and that, that I'm still very much buying HMOs and doing conversion into HMOs and cluster flats and all things like that um the money from serviced accommodation, if run correctly and you've chosen the right area and you have a unique selling point and you've priced yourself correctly, 
is you know treble the amount of the HMO. So it, it uh, every single time I, I made my husband actually because he has that ping app on booking.com. Do you know every time you get a booking it pings? I made him turn it off because he used to get so excited. More the start, excited you know, we could be doing anything. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's called a pulse app, isn't it? I think that's what it's called. I know. I think it's only booking.com that do that. But I made him take it off his phone because, you know, as I said, we could be doing absolutely anything at all and arguably should be enjoying that more. But <laughs> he'd get more excited about the pulse app pinging to say, you've got another booking. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, no, it's a great industry to be in and uh, I'm excited for you and actually I probably should be interviewing you not the other way around for some of the things I've seen you doing but uh, I appreciate no, no thank you thank you I do appreciate that but but yeah just, just I'm in a complete alignment with what you're saying there we're, we're just taking it all well back in the last year we're taking it all in-house so all the battle at HMOs and the SA and you, you everything you said that I can relate to in terms of getting the systems right in the pro but I like business. I like that side of it anyway. And I can see that side. I can, that's probably one of my main focuses is the glamping plus the SA city centre. And I'm doing the whole of this stuff as well, but um, I love it. I, I'm completely with you. Um, it's be, been a great episode, Haley. I could talk for quite a while. See, I've got quite a... I've moved on some other questions I'm going to have time for, so I do apologise. Maybe do a part two. Um what I like to end on with everybody is the same question, which is um, the show's called the Rags to Riches show. So what does being rich mean to you, Haley? Because you can be rich in money, assets, time, whatever. You know, what does that phrase mean to you, being rich? Um, so as I said, I came from nothing. You know, I, I grew up um, on a council estate. So it's never been about the material things I can buy. So I would say being rich to me um, means truly wealthy, as in I have peace of mind, I have confidence and security, um, and I have that freedom to choose what I want to do. And, I, and, and that's what allows me to keep growing as an individual because if there's something I'm interested in, I can go do that now. And, and, and I think um, that's what being rich really means to me, having that freedom of choice. Love that. Um, great episode, Haley. It's been fantastic. Fair play to everything that you've done and you've achieved. And you're achieving. You're not done yet. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I can see that. I can see that. My love. Um, if anyone does want to reach out to you, Haley, and follow your journey, look at what you're doing. I know you do coaching and things. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you or connect with you? Well, you, I'm, I'm on all social medias as Hayley Andrews. Um, I, and, uh, of course, I have Your Freedom Empire. So you can just pop onto our website, um, Your Freedom Empire, find out more about us, um, book in a call with me or one of the team if you want to have a conversation. Um, but, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, I'm not on TikTok yet. I've been told. Don't me. do it. I, I'm going against that TikTok. <laughs> I don't think that's the TikTok. to go on TikTok. <laughs> I ain't doing no five seconds in videos. I don't know about you. Um, but yeah, no, fair play to Hayley. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic rest of your day and thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Hi, everyone. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could pop on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the more attention the podcast gets. And then it enables me to get even better guests and give even more inspiration and even more motivation to you guys. So I'd really appreciate it if you popped onto Apple Podcasts, left us a review, shared the podcast with your friends and family, um, plenty on social media to try and grow the podcast, which enables me to inspire you guys even more. Thank you so much. I'm really, really grateful. I really appreciate it and have a fantastic day.